Because they uh-huh. bust ghosts that are just hanging out. That's true, like the runner in the park. Yeah, or the blowjob lady. Like, she's just giving blowjobs. Let her give blowjobs. She's just giving blowjobs. That's true. <laughs> blowjob lady. Watching Movies at the Bar, a podcast about bar movies and movie bars. I'm Bethy Squires, and I feel like my voice sounds weird because I just ate a bunch of shawarma. With me, as always, <laughs> Thomas Gravinsky. Thomas, what did you just eat, and is it affecting your voice at all? Yeah, I haven't really eaten anything today, uh, which makes me kind of the anti-slimer. Uh, but I'm about <laughs> to crack one of the blue-white claws to uh, introduce some demons to my delicate bodily system and create a problem that only the Ghostbusters can solve. <laughs> um, I want to talk about these White Claws in a second, but first let's bring in our guest. She is a producer extraordinaire, Liz Moffin. Welcome. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me. I also, I, I want to say I noticed, Thomas, that your White Claw says surge, which threw me a little bit. <laughs> That's why we have to talk I about it. I didn't know they could do that. <laughs> This is uh, this is eight percent alcohol, um, and they also don't balance the flavor against the liquor, so it's kind of a train wreck. But it Ooh. remains gluten free and relatively okay. light. There we go. See, that was my question: is what makes a white claw surge? It's just a higher percentage alcohol. Um, I think it's when you buy it during busy grocery hours. Mm. Uh, <laughs> they charge you a little more and put out a blue can. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. And what flavor is that? I'm drinking uh, cranberry right now. Festive. Big cranberry guy. (laughs) Halloween season is over. We're now full Thanksgiving preparation, about to be Christmas. Liz, you were the guest of the never aired because my computer fucked up sort of like pilot for this show. We talked about Twilight for like two and a half hours, but it only recorded about 45 minutes of me talking. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I I'm not gonna say I was tricked, but I had also I had never seen Twilight, and this was the only reason I watched it. And then you were like, "Well, it's gone." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, I watched it for nothing." You hated it. You absolutely hated I it. I hated it. I hated it. And I feel like like somebody on Letterbox like responded to because even in Letterbox, I was like, "I hate this. This is terrible." <laughs> and someone's like, "You just don't like fun." I was like, "I didn't even think it was fun." Like, I'm all for having a good time. I did not have a good time in that movie. <laughs> I can very much understand how someone would not have fun watching Twilight, but I have fun yeah. watching it every time. I'm glad, and I'm really glad for that. I really, I mean that. <laughs> I think, I think that to to appreciate something like Twilight is really threading a needle, and it's not for everyone. I think there are lots of Twilight esque things that are just sort of a niche curiosity for. People with certain appetites. Liz, I don't blame you. I don't love it, but I think there's some fun stuff. I think had I read the books, maybe I'd be like, yeah, this fucks. You know what I mean? Can I curse? I'm sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> we, uh, we, we actually dumped Pat Robertson Foundation as a sponsor for the pod, so we've been saying all kinds of bad words <laughs> last few Robertson. weeks. We've been taking the Lord's name. Is he name. still alive? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Ditto. Well... Speaking of Letterboxd and speaking of some things not being for everyone, I would argue, in fact, nothing is for everyone. 
Nothing can be good and also be forever. Like, people can kind of, many people can kind of like something, but for the truly passionate, there's probably something that's going to bump somebody else. Sure. I'm guessing. I'm sensing that even between the three of us, we don't all love Pat Robertson. (laughs) I know. I think I'm probably the warmest on him, if only because I don't remember who that is. He's like a big televangelist, right? Is he? He's who's not, probably like super greedy and awful. Yeah, he's not PTL, and he's not. Is he the one who's on the Seven Hundred Club, and Freeform has so. to air it um, because of weird contractual things? Like, but they have this like uh, <laughs> they have this thing before the Seven Hundred Club airs on Freeform that just says like, "Hey, we can't." not broadcast this we would go to jail if we didn't broadcast this what? but we yes. hate it y'all we fucking hate it no the way 700 club is is correct and unfortunately he is still alive so not yet another ghost that. to bust but Damn. i feel like he's i feel like he's getting there well rip in advance to that guy <laughs> um <laughs> counting down the days anywho as alluded to just now we are talking about a ghostbusters movie and because this is watching movies at the bar and watching movies at the bar is sequels only we're talking about <laughs> ghostbusters 2 cloud atlas 2 ernest scared stupid <laughs> ernest scared stupid is a sequel that That's one true. fits the pattern if if something is a standalone movie it can come along but if something is the first installment you gotta wait for us to talk about maybe number three or number four in the series first before we can really get down to the meat of the issue. I think that's probably why the Twilight episode didn't work is because we tried to start oh. with Twilight 1. And God said no. Yeah. God was like, uh-uh-uh, ah, ah, you got to start with Breaking Dawn so. Part 1, which is Twilight 4. I was just going to say, I've only seen the first one. I have not seen the rest. So, like, I don't even know where the whole love triangle comes in because that didn't really happen in the first one. Anyway. Sounds like it might not be your speed. No. <laughs> I I do feel the need to finish them one day, not anytime soon. Take your time. Uh well next week next <laughs> week we're doing Terrence Malick Jr.'s Days of Heaven four. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> but before we get into the film itself, Liz, what is your experience of uh watching movies at a bar or do you prefer to just talk about movies at a bar with like maybe just music on no visuals at all that's a good question um yeah i would say talking about them at a bar and also like i think something that is weird about me is i'm not super into movies like i'm very particular about going to the movies and spending time on a movie i'm like much more of a tv person and i don't quite know why that is (laughs) But yeah, I'm more of a, if I'm going to talk about it, let's just be out and have a drink. Liz, you are speaking my language. I also am medium on movies. I think they have their place, but they're also, especially the movie going experience can be so overwhelming and I am a delicate little baby of a flower. So like my preferred movie watching milieu is at a bar where there's like other stuff going on so I can like Mm -hmm. tap out emotionally if I need to, just because I'm like sensitive i was just telling a friend like a couple weeks ago about yeah movies being an overwhelming experience for me whenever i go to the movies which is rare i tear up during the trailers like any trailer it can be any trailer it doesn't matter what it is but i think i'm just like so overwhelmed that like look how big this is and people made a thing and it's so like majestic (laughs) that i i tear up every single time 
And also when I was in like middle school, like the only thing we had to do in my small hometown was go to the movies. And I was very, very shy for a long time. So when the movie would end, everyone would be talking about the movie. And like, I also had not really like grown to the point of being able to form my own opinions yet. So I was like scared to even talk. So like after the movies was always like such an anxiety inducing experience for me. So maybe, maybe a little of that's bled over. I don't know, even though I have plenty to say now. (laughs) I don't cry at every preview, but I am very, Mm -hmm. I'm highly susceptible to, to preview energy and tearing up. Yeah. I saw the first Lord of the Rings movie with my parents at a movie theater and John Q, the trailer for John Q played before it. And I was (laughs) so upset by like the greed of the medical industrial complex that I wound up (laughs) hating Lord of the Rings. And then like, cause you were so affected by the trailer. Yes. And then, so I think it was just that I was so upset by the trailer that I was like, well, this movie now also has nothing for me. And I, I got into like a huge, It wasn't a fight, but I had, like, I guess you could call it even, like, a temper tantrum. I was, like, in high school, but, like, (laughs) on the way back from the movie with my parents, I was, like, sobbing and shrieking in the car that, that, like, uh, this sort of reductivist good versus evil fantasy is why there's a war in Iraq in the first place. And like this sort of, this sort of idea that some things are always bad and other people are always good is George Bush thinking. And I think it fucking sucks. And I was just like tearing my own hair out, freaking out. But I think it was just because I was deeply triggered by the John Q trailer. See, I don't, I don't even know what John Q is. What is that? Uh, It's a Mr. Bean spinoff. No, it's not, is it? (laughs) No, that's Johnny English. (laughs) John Q. I was like, how? (laughs) It's a Denzel Washington movie where he takes a hospital hostage because his daughter needs, I think, an organ transplant. And the insurance Mm -hmm. won't cover it. So he's going (gasps) to hold doctors hostage to perform the operation. And I saw the trailer. I'll watch the hell out of that. I saw the trailer and it fucked me up. But then I saw the whole ass movie in like government class in high school one day and was fine. So like, (laughs) figure that you got it all out of your system by that time. (laughs) It's so funny. Like, had we gone to the movies together while we were that age, I would have let you do all the talking and just been like, "Yeah, that sounds whoa," (laughs) because I wouldn't have been able to like understand. Bethy, Bethy, your response to Lord of the Rings makes me think of one of the funniest classroom memories I have from college, which is I took a film theory course, and our professor's name was Terry Geller, uh, who was a very vocal queer radical, and she was known for sort of cutting students down to size. Um, And on the first day of class, there were 11 of us. It was like a very small room. And we went around the table and she was like, what's your favorite movie? Or what's a movie that was kind of a gateway to movies for you? And the first kid said Breathless. And she said, boring. And the second second kid said Lord of the Rings. And she said, oh, cool. So you like movies that espouse Manichaean binaries. And I just remember sitting there like... What I'm saying! I was like... And and, and I I will be honest. I think she is someone who actually lacks the ability to enjoy a movie but she mm-hmm. made me a much smarter and, and and more critical person so she's amazing yeah i would have listened to her like crazy i was just like sweating in my seat i was like what the <laughs> fuck do i say and i went yeah for... is there a right answer here <laughs> i did i did get away i said twin peaks firewalk with me i was like i think this might be it and she mm-hmm. was like yep yep 
And that was all I got. It wasn't really like positive. It was just like she didn't embarrass me in front of the whole class. That's good. That's nice. <laughs> she was like, good save. <laughs> That's nice of her. Yeah. <laughs> That's wow. That would be a very overwhelming experience. I wouldn't enjoy that. We had something similar to that happen to me in a philosophy class where the teacher was asking like, what's what's important about ethics? Like, what are your personal ethical standards? And I raised my hand and said that I think that ethics, your personal ethics needs to evolve as you gather new information, as you like take new information in. And he was like a classical philosopher. So he believed in like Plato. So he was like, that's fucking stupid. That's not true. What? Because some things are real. Okay. Maybe some things are just real. You're a moral relativist and I don't like you. And that's what why a I'm a nerd. photographer. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what a nerd. <laughs> Interactions like this, being cut down to size publicly, being embarrassed, being made to feel shame, this creates a deep well of negative feelings. And if there are too many negative feelings, too great a volume of negative feelings, yeah. it sometimes can take physical shape goo as goo. Shaped. What do you guys think about that? It was so good. Uh, that was beautiful. <laughs> it was a gorgeous trans- so transition. Well said. Really Thank good. you. So, Liz, we talked about doing this, I think, back when Ghostbusters Afterlife was announced. And you were talking about how you were excited and that, but also that Ghostbusters 2 is your favorite of a series of movies that you love immensely. Yes. What makes this one of the movies that that rocks for you? I think about this all the time because I actually only found out last summer when I was talking to my friend Demi about how much I love this movie. He goes, you know that everyone hated that. And I was like, what are you talking about? No way. Everyone loves this movie because it's incredible. And then I went on Letterboxd and I was like, oh my god, everyone hates this movie. What is happening? So, and I've always loved it. I just kind of thought that everyone felt the same way because it's Ghostbusters. So I've been always trying to nail down since childhood, like, why do I love this one so much? And I don't really know other than, like, my best guess is that music plays a big part of it. Like, you know, the slime fucking activates in a positive way of music and i think that rocks ass i think that is so cool i don't know and i also think it's just really well written and the jokes are so funny like i watched it again today i've watched it so many times and i pick up something new every single time and i was laughing my head off i'm like this is just so brilliantly done like i just think it's fantastic it's so funny i first saw ghostbusters 2 on comedy central because it aired constantly on that channel in my childhood it was just on all the time it was like that and robin hood men in tights were like the two like half baked (laughs) so that was like those that's what film was to me as a kid do we think it was just cheaper for them to syndicate and license the sequel than the first one yeah yeah i think did you like it when you watched it yeah i loved it i and like but i would also always come in like halfway through i've seen the Mm. end of this movie like a bajillion times i've seen the beginning of this movie like maybe twice oh wow um because it's just a movie on during the afternoon thing for me but to me it's ghostbusters ghostbusters one is so is totally different in a way where i'm like this is unfamiliar i don't understand it this is not like the cartoon and like ghostbusters two uh Mm -hmm. ghostbusters one to me is like the outlier 
but then people who experience yeah see that's how i felt yeah, yeah. people who experience time linearly for them it's like shit <laughs> fell off <laughs> thomas <laughs> what is your What's experience up? with this movie well, Liz, do you want to lead this off? Yeah, I'm, I'm like, so interested to see what you're going to say. I logged it again on, I logged it again on Letterboxd today, and I saw that Thomas had recently watched it, and he gave it two and a half stars. And I was like, okay, we're going to get into it tonight, maybe. <laughs> I, here's, here's what I will say. I, <laughs> I love nothing more than to be wrong about a movie. <laughs> Um, or, or to be persuaded that something has more going on than I think it does. And so I'm actually really excited because Liz, I, I, I respect you deeply and I think you have great taste and, uh, (laughs) cool. So my, I, there are some times when I think a movie is not very good and I just, I, I will dismiss it. I take no joy in not liking Ghostbusters 2. I wish I liked Ghostbusters 2 more. I liked it a lot as a kid. I still Mm -hmm. love the first Ghostbusters. To me, it feels a little bit rote, a little bit flat. I think it 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 starts with some really cool ideas. I like yes. the idea that the Ghostbusters are hated for this destruction they've caused, and <laughs> and now they're sort of like social pariah, and and they have to sort of reformulate and build back up. I just don't feel like on a dramatic level they do very much with that. And to me, the movie just feels extremely sequely. Um, Interesting. But I, I, I'm so excited to hear you talk about it because I would love to feel differently. And there are things I like about yeah. it. I, to me, five out of ten is not a pan. It's just like mm-hmm. uh, it's a sequel. You know, it didn't do it for you. Did you love the first one? Yeah, yeah, I did. But mm-hmm. but that's like the kind of movie that like. I don't know. When I was a kid, I was aware of like eight movies and Ghostbusters was one of them. (laughs) It was just like this canonical cultural Mm -hmm. thing. And so watching it as a kid was so exciting. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to dig into this. I want to talk a little bit about sort of the cultural omnipresence of Ghostbusters. Like, it's interesting that it is like one of like the five movies that exist when you're little. And I think that's been true since it came out in the 80s. But it makes absolutely no sense that it is one of those movies because it is like a deeply idiosyncratic like special effects comedy which is like wasn't a thing and then stopped being a thing shortly after this movie came out made by a guy who's just a total freak for the paranormal this is this is me really wanting to talk about dan Aykroyd and how obsessed with him i am a little bit dan Aykroyd rules and he had a draft for the first ghostbusters movie that was like incredibly steeped in the occult and the world building of what lies beyond and it never saw the light of day but i just love that that's where his head was at i watched this ghostbusters documentary that i found out about earlier this year and i did not know that the entire thing was became a thing because of dan Aykroyd's family he had like a medium in the family and that is where like you said his occult stuff came from and that's how the whole movie came to be i did not know that until i watched the documentary i was like that's so fucking cool he pulled it from real life <laughs> that's crazy yeah like the in the first movie the demon or what ghost whatever you want to call it is gozer the gozerian mm-hmm. and the name gozer yeah. comes from the enfield haunting which was the um, alleged poltergeist activity that spawned Poltergeist, the movie Poltergeist. Whoa, I didn't know that. Ghostbusters, Conjuring 2, and the movie Ghostwatch. All of those are inspired by that same uh, haunting. 
That was probably now fake. I'm gonna research whatever. that haunting. Oh my god, <laughs> that's so cool. Slimer is also based on a real guy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's um, Jim Belushi, right? It was John Belushi. Oh, I was kidding. No, Slimer's oh, based in, on in, John in, Belushi. Inspired by a Belushi. Yeah, it is. Like, because they wanted him to be one of the Ghostbusters, but he died. So they like kind of took some of some of Slimer's like mannerisms were directly <laughs> from Belushi. <laughs> they like wanted to nod to him. That is insanely funny, yeah. though, for that yeah. big, kooky, green guy to be like, yeah, this is our uh, recently deceased friend. I love him so much. Slimer, the big puff guy, he's our dearly departed. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the making of this movie. As we said, it's weird that that Ghostbusters 1 became the cultural powerhouse that it was, mm-hmm. but it really was to the point that the head of Columbia at the time that they were trying to figure out Ghostbusters 2, he was like, Mm -hmm. I'm not really feeling this. Mm. In part, that's why that guy got fired from being the studio head of Columbia. And that's right. That's the correct decision (laughs) for that thought process. I don't know about Ghostbusters 2. He was like, they sold high C's. You gotta make a second one. (laughs) I do think the Titanic shot makes the movie worth it. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Oh, I love that part was like my favorite funny part when I was a kid. Better late than never. <laughs> I still say that whenever that I can. Joke. It's so funny. <laughs> so what happened was nobody was sure. Like everybody in the movie wasn't sure they wanted to make another one. Sequels were still mm-hmm. kind of new as an idea. Um, and then the the head of Columbia at the time was like, I don't really like Bill Murray. I feel like he takes from Hollywood without giving back. He said at a dinner. <laughs> and then he also said, and I hate his agent, Michael Ovitz. Oh. Michael Ovitz. Sounds like he buried the lead, right? <laughs> he fucked up bad. <laughs> but also, that wouldn't surprise me if that were true about Bill Murray, honestly. That would not really shock me. And Michael Ovitz wasn't the best either. But, you know, shortly thereafter, this guy was fired. And some people suspected it that Whoa. Ovitz orchestrated it because he was just so mad. That he oh had said God. talk shit about Ghostbusters, Bill Murray, and himself. But uh, I could, in the way that that Dan Aykroyd could talk about the paranormal for twelve hours, I could talk about Michael Ovitz for twelve hours. And this is this <laughs> really? is not the time, <laughs> girl. <laughs> Saving that for the Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> just just the stories of Ovitz and Eisner, who were best friends until the Disney he became president. Anyway. Uh, it's really well, juicy, really drama, really soap opera, and that will be for the Patreon. That's amazing. So eventually, it's like four years later, no movement has been made on making Ghostbusters 2. Michael Ovitz is like, I'm going to get the guys together and we're going to hash this out. So they have mm-hmm. this four hour long lunch at this place that's in long Beverly Hills. Lunch. That's a long lunch, baby. And it's like, it's, uh, it's Ackroyd, Reitman... Murray and Ovitz. I don't think no Ramus. Oh no, Ramus was there too. Yes. Okay. But um, no, they no left Winston. Ernie Hudson yeah, out. Winston was not there. I don't think. Fuck that. I did learn that he was not treated well no, on the set, but we can talk about that later. Terrible to Ernie Hudson in this series, yes. and I it irks me, sticks in my yeah. craw. Anyway, mm-hmm. after this really long lunch, they decide that they do still love each other and they want to make this movie again. Was there a falling out or something? Kind of. Like, they had all sort of okay. gone their separate ways and, like, oh, gotcha. gotten sort of chilly. 
with each other. Like, not a falling okay. out, but like a, I don't know her sort of energy. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So Dan Aykroyd writes a first draft, and in this first draft, the the idea was that Dana would get kidnapped by fairies what? in Scotland. And the Ghostbusters would have to <laughs> Give me that movie. would would go I want that movie. through a like hollow earth tunnel to get to Scotland and save Dana. That's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting. A little way off base, but <laughs> New York's a character in the movie. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd was trying to get ahead of the Artemis Fowl franchise. <laughs> but ultimately Josh Gad got there first. <laughs> The number of times that we've all been bested by Josh Gad, usually for <laughs> mourning a celebrity death, but other than that, I'm sure other times as well. <laughs> I am so glad you have all this knowledge about this movie, because I actually don't. Like, even the documentary that I watched, I was, like, really hoping to learn more about the second one, and it was primarily about the first movie. There was, like, two things that I learned about the second one, and I was like, well, that didn't give me what I wanted, but <laughs> still happy to know what I know. It was a famously tumultuous production, right? Yeah. And- Bethy is going to get there. I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, it. that's the most that mostly I know about the long fight to get right. to actually shooting it. But by the time they yeah. shot it, it was still like touchy, you could say. You know, Bill Murray was in kind of diva mode, but they made it work. But the movie came out the same year as like Batman. What year did it come out? I know the first one's like 84, but I don't know what time the second one came out. 89, right? Mm-hmm. 89, okay. That's when Batman came out, so I'm assuming same. And as a result, people thought of it as like underperforming, as being a flop. It made back its budget by like a lot, like three oh, wow. times its budget, but it wasn't, it did not exceed Ghostbusters. So people were like, oh, it's a flop. It stinks. Never mind. Oh, sad. In an era when movies made an insane number of dollars. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Purely by 1989 standards. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it was like, 89 is one of, like, the biggest blockbuster years ever. And Ghostbusters did well. Did, like, well. And that wasn't enough for that yeah. year. Another another element of the production there that is worth noting is that there was a general apprehension amongst the cast and crew as they got closer to production about making this sequel. They generally didn't really want to do it again. And so Ivan Reitman was, like, pulling teeth to get this movie done And then when they had a cut of the movie, they tested it and it tested so poorly, they hacked out huge sections and reshot them. And so the movie is ultimately kind of a patchwork of trying to appease the test audience. Yeah. And I kind of feel that watching it, but I also am ready to be wrong. I, from what I understand of what they took out and what they added, I, I think the additions were needed. Because the test audience didn't understand that the ooze was, like, emotionally reactive. That's, like, the whole thing. <laughs> and they didn't understand that it was linked to Vigo. So they had to shoot. And they also didn't see perceive Vigo as a threat. So they added, like, I don't know if they added the toaster How? scene. He's the scariest looking person I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, I'm still scared by him. I'm not kidding. No, I agree. And also that style of, like, realistic painting from the 80s that I find just generally terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Those are weird. And they added the scene where all of Vigo's pictures burst into flames to, like, add some stakes. That's great. And they took out a scene where they escaped. <laughs> they did make uh, the connection there. Yeah. You, you do get it then. Because they were like, the river is slime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's most of the behind the scenes stuff we've been talking about. So you don't, you didn't notice as a kid and you don't notice now necessarily that it feels like a little choppy 
Now that you say that, the only place I notice it is the courtroom scene because they do all these wipe transitions like through that entire section. And it, it didn't really bother me. But now that you say that, I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's why. Because it's like so many quick transitions to like get to through that courtroom scene. But no, I didn't notice that at all. I think it feels pretty cohesive. I notice it a little bit in that like you think that they're setting up the mayor's aid to be like as big of a foil as the EPA guy in the first one. Mm -hmm. And he he Mm kind of gets lost. And you don't really understand how they get out of the mental asylum. They just sort of show yeah, up. Yeah, the mayor orders suits. them out. The mayor orders them out, but they just, like, show yeah. up in their suit. I do. I, when I watched it this morning, I was like, did they have the suits on them? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, like, even from the very beginning shot, like, Dana's walking through New York, and you see people around her screaming, and, like, they really set up, like, New York's an angry place, and it's important to the story. So I think because of that intro, like, it was pretty, it's a pretty clear narrative for me. Yeah, I think I I notice a little bit of the disjointedness and a little bit of, like, the sequelitis mm-hmm. of it, but I'm just having such a good time. I don't really give a yeah. shit. I'm just vibing the whole time. <laughs> yeah, and I think back to what you said earlier about the two movies having totally different tones. Like, I do agree with that. And I think it's why I didn't like the first one as much, because I don't know that I liked the tone. It was, like, very dark and, like, a bit more gritty, I would say, than the second one. Like... You know, the whole, uh, what are they called? The gargoyles, like that whole thing. Like, I don't know. It was like very dark to me. And whereas this one, I mean, it was really scary, but I felt like in a very different way. I think it was maybe because it was connected to like the energy of New Yorkers and people being angry. Like, I thought that was very interesting. I've tweeted before. I was like, Ghostbusters 2 is a documentary. I, I think I personally like that the first movie is, like, a little more acerbic. I like that there is kind of a mm. bite to it. Like, it just, it 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 feels a little more distinctive to me. Mm-hmm. But I I want to hear what you two love so much about this movie. What are, what are scenes that really kill for you? What are some of the jokes, Liz, that you think really shine? Oh, God. <laughs> sorry so sorry to put you on the spot. I'm just excited no, to I'm, hear. No, I'm so ready for this. So... For some reason, like, the one scene that I'm always so excited about is the bathtub scene where Dana's about to give her baby Oscar a bath. And, like, she's running the water and she's got her back turned to the tub and she's, like, undressing the baby. She turns around. The pink slime has come out of the faucet and the whole tub is, like, wrapped around ready to grab her. And I don't know if it's, like, the special effects there. Like, I thought it, like, looked crazy. And I still, to this day, I'm like, how did they make that scene (laughs) Back in the 80s. Like, how did they do that? And, like, I can tell there's green screen and stuff. But I even, like, earlier this year was like, how did they make the slime? Like, I really want to know. Because I've, like, never seen a substance like that. I think it's so cool. But, yeah, for some reason, that tub scene is, like, etched in my mind forever. Like, I could probably draw it with my eyes closed. Like, I just really remember that. But some of the jokes, one of my favorite jokes is at the very beginning of the courtroom scene. Louis Tully runs in. He's all frazzled. It's the first time you see him in this movie. Everyone loves Rick Moranis in this movie. He comes in all frazzled. He's got seven huge books with him, like he's going to study on the spot. And he's like, hey, guys, I don't I don't know if this is the right decision. I, I like, study tax law and stuff. Because, like, in the <laughs> first movie, it set him up as an accountant or whatever. And he goes, I mostly just studied law at night. And then Dan Aykroyd goes, that's okay, Lewis. 
we got arrested at night. And I just <laughs> think it kills. I think that is so funny. It's such a good joke. It's so simple. And I love it. I think it's so funny. I also think Rick Moranis has another really funny line in that scene where he's like uh, explaining his relationship to the Ghostbusters. Yes. And he yep. says that they helped him one time when he turned into a dog. Yeah. And then he's like done talking. He's like, okay. <laughs> That's a really good moment. He just gets like gradually more and more sheepish until he yes. slinks away. And that's kind of the final bit that he gets in. It's so funny. And then like there's the part where Peter Venkman's on the stand. And like Bill Murray, as he would do, because I think all of their characters are so specific and like so well written to who they actually would be. He's like feeding Lewis the lines on the stand. It's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> and Lewis is like eating up because he doesn't know what to say. <laughs> I think part of what I like about this movie more than the first is that I'm just hanging out with all of my friends. It is the stuff that is yeah. makes it a little bit more TV like mm-hmm. and like in in ways worse of a movie it could be argued because like Lewis is kind of a skeezoid in the first movie like I yes. I don't like him and I want to like right. Rick Moranis. And yeah. I like him and Janine having this pair, the spares, yeah, like, vibage going on. I think that their mm-hmm. their weird, horny coupling is very cute. I like that Winston is in the very first scene. And it's like, oh, there's my guy. There's mm-hmm. Ernie Hudson. I wrote down just Finally. Ernie Hudson and underlined it when he came on. I had nothing to say besides, I love Ernie Hudson. He's yeah. he's great on Bones, but that's not why we're here. <laughs> I did not know he was on Bones. Is he a principal character? No, he's like a recurring defense oh, attorney that they go up against sometimes. And then also okay. he helped defend Bones's father because Bones's father uh, murdered the assistant director of the FBI. But to be fair, the assistant director of the FBI tried to murder him first. <laughs> She's got that Bones knowledge. <laughs> Incredible. Bethy's a Bones expert. <laughs> I really enjoy, yes, the emotional like the psychoreactive substance i think the goo is really cool (laughs) i think it looks like fun and gross at the same time like it's it's so like inside of a mouth colored fleshy yeah i think that's neat and i like that it can be a tool of positive or negative emotion i think that's interesting Mm -hmm. like the mechanics of it yeah like the sci-fi part of my brain finds that really interesting Yes, I think that is the same for me, absolutely. I thought that was so fascinating and, like, a really cool way to think about New York, honestly. Like, it was kind of the perfect place for that plot to take place. Like, they couldn't have done that anywhere else, I don't think. <laughs> have you guys seen the live-action Ninja Turtles sequel? Um, Secret know. of the Ooze? <laughs> the Secret of the Ooze, yeah. I know that the first movie I ever saw, like, out in person as, as a child was one of the Ninja Turtle movies at a drive-in. Yeah. But I don't know which one. I wonder if it was Secret of the Ooze and the Ooze seeped been. into your brain and made you a goo head. <laughs> it might have been. I was a really big Ninja Turtles fan. My first pet actually was a one of those beta fishes. It was black and purple. I named it Shredder. Oh, oh that rocks. It's cool that yeah. you went for Shredder rather than like Michelangelo. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just, yeah, I don't know. It just was the color scheme of the fish. I was like, that reminds me of Shredder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder why both... Ninja Turtles and Ghostbusters 2 could be subtitled Secret of the Ooze. What is it about Ooze that is just like, <laughs> we've explored our primary antagonist. What, where can we go from there? What about Goo? Maybe Goo is That's true, because like, even Nickelodeon just a couple years later was like, slime, it's slime time, and then they've got Gak. So it was like an actual 
era of ooze. <laughs> I'm kind of pissed off that we're past the slime era. I feel like we should I know, go it was back. Awesome. I always learn to be slimed. I want it. I really want it. I hope before I die, I get slimed still. I feel like somebody can make that happen for you. I don't see why. Yeah, not. I think so too. I could really slime myself if I put enough effort into it. Yeah, wait, Liz, what are you doing this weekend? Can we slime you? Uh, you know, this is the perfect weekend to do it. It's Halloween weekend. Slime time. Uh, sorry, I got us off track. We're talking Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, but Ghostbusters 2 is a very gooey, it's a wet movie. And yeah, I find that a huge I, plus. I, I feel like we're, we're we're talking about some specifics of Ghostbusters 2, but should we give some of the non-heads a little context for what happens in this movie? Yeah. Liz, how would you feel about doing like a brief broad stroke summary? Would you like me to do it? Um, I can do it, but a question, should I avoid spoilers? Oh, spoil away. Spoil away. Spoil. Yeah, this has been out a while. You're right. <laughs> you can spoil and you can slime. I'm going to try to broad strokes this, but I might get into it. So the movie opens. It's some years later, and we see Dana with a baby. So we're like, for sure, in the future here. See, I'm going to just walk through the whole thing. Basically, the Ghostbusters are washed up now. Um, the city has all but forgotten the first time that they were saved by the Ghostbusters because they had caused so much destruction. They've been sued by, like, every facet ever, every government facet ever. And, yeah, they're washed up. Uh, Ray's got a occult bookshop, um, as well as working with Winston as a child's birthday performer as the Ghostbusters, <laughs> which they're hated there, too. And then Vinkman, which I think this is the perfect place for him to be, for his character to be. He is, like, this low-rent TV host of this, like, paranormal talk show that he himself does not even buy into. It's very, very funny that that's where he would be. Yeah, and then a lot of pink slime is starting to show up in the city, and it's because New Yorkers are angry, and that is slowly building up beneath the streets. There's this huge river of slime that all culminates at this Manhattan Art Museum because of Vigo the Carpathian, who is this evil... I don't, I don't remember what year he's from, but he's coming back from the dead, and he needs Dana's baby to do that. Yeah, Vigo needs to incarnate into yes. a baby so it his like his paintings presence in the city seems to be part of why the slime is amassing right now mm-hmm. why the vibes are coalescing yeah. and he turns like the head of the museum played by peter mcnichol into his like minion and is like get me a baby almost equally as terrifying as vigo himself i would say i was very like unsettled by janosh's presence the entire time because he's also like a creepazoid to dana janosh is a creep dog it's like he shows up at her doorstep during the blackout like that would really fuck me up like if that happened in real life uh yeah this is a movie about how fine art is bad vibes (laughs) (laughs) i do love the restaurant scene where like she and Peter are, like, finally on a date after all these years again, and the guys all show up covered in slime. The one where he says, like, guys, you're scaring the straights. <laughs> but I love that straights. scene because they're like, yeah, it's all flowing. They've just found out that the river slime, like, point of, like, the destination for the slime is under the museum. And Peter turns to Dana and he goes, oh, yeah, you can never go back there. You have to find a new job. And I thought that was really funny. <laughs> He's like, I was going to tell you before dessert, you can never go back there. <laughs> There's a hint at your job. Sorry. We're going to yeah, circle back to Dana's job, uh, but we're, we should just finish actually explaining the, the plot. Yes. The Ghostbusters run afoul of the mayor's aide who tries to 
get them arrested, and then when the bad vibes unleash ghosts in the courtroom, they save the judge, and so the judge vacates their sentence. Yeah. Then they try and talk to the mayor about this whole ooze problem, and the mayor's aide has <laughs> them committed instead. Yeah. So the vibes are abounding. The vibes let ghosts like break the barrier between our world and theirs more easily it seems like so um, Mm -hmm. ghosts start taking over manhattan and vigo the carpathian is able to get baby oscar to his like painting lair (laughs) and is ready to like get up in him yeah where is that like the lobby of the museum i never really actually they're like rotunda yeah i guess it's maybe the lobby or or, like maybe there's an atrium at the center yeah we are getting bogged down um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the ooze can be good. The ooze doesn't is a uh, value neutral goop. Okay. Um, it can be. It can feed on bad vibes. It can feed on good vibes, and it loves banging tunes. So the Ghostbusters come That's up with right. a scheme. They're going to cream pie the Statue of Liberty with all of this goo. Just spray her insides. Spray her guts full of this goo. <laughs> And then blast music inside of her, which will cause her to animate. And they're uh, they're hoping that people will see <laughs> the Statue of Liberty come to life and be like, rad, and not be like, I'm not really scary. scared. <laughs> I never even thought about that. <laughs> it's, it's important to note this is a very subtly pro-cum movie. Hugely pro-cum movie. I think it says a lot about climate denial. I think the way the Ghostbusters are treated. Because the Ghostbusters are like climate scientists being like, the vibes are so bad, we're all going to die. And the mayor's like, what do you want me to do? Tell people to make small changes in their life? Fuck off. I'll have you committed. Yeah. Until it's almost too late. I remain the negative slime feeder who believes this movie says nothing but i'm so happy to be here for this conversation whoa i think it's pro con and it... pro uh it is pro con you're right it does say that are we done with the movie synopsis? pretty much like the statue of liberty okay. rallies the troops they're able to mm-hmm. pierce the goo wall it's also like new year's yeah yeah everybody's vibing so hard the new yorkers who previously had been um, fed up with each other and like running negative energy into the city are now so hyped that they're able to help the Ghostbusters defeat Vigo. And it seems like Peter and Dana are going to get back together, which is also a plus. Yes. That was pretty good. I have a lot to say about Peter and Dana, but no, that was and good. And uh, Ray ends the movie covered in ghost cum, which I also love. Liz, uh-huh. thoughts on Peter and Dana? Here's... One reason that I think I might love, well, I love both movies for this reason, but like, you know, like we all said, there was like, what, eight movies to watch when we're kids? And I think, with the exception of Mary Poppins, this is like the only one where, (laughs) that I saw, where there was like an independent woman. And like, I did not see a lot of that in my own life growing up at all. But like, I love watching Dana on screen, because she's so sure of herself, she does not need Peter in any way, like, there's none of that, she's like, this fully formed woman. And especially like for that time, the eighties, like I really, I, I personally just did not see a lot of that. So I, I still to this day love watching her. Cause she was like, at one point in this movie, like just playing her cello, someone's helping with the baby and she's just playing her cello. 
doing her fucking thing. She's divorced. Who cares? She's awesome, and I love her, and she can do way better than Peter, but, like, I understand that dynamic because I am also very wooed by men exactly like him because of him, I would say. It's his fault. Like, I'm so attracted to that, like, smooth, funny, like, he would have won me over, too. You know what I mean? But I love that she doesn't need him. She's just like, yeah, okay, I'll give you another shot. So, yeah, I don't, I, I think it's interesting in the beginning of the movie, she, like, pecks Egon on the cheek and he like smiles and whatever and I'm like they would be a more logical pair because he's very smart he's not a sleaze bag like Peter <laughs> they make more logical sense to me but she's she's into Peter I get it oh and Egon isn't available because he and Ray are a couple I have decided oh that's right yeah you you deduce that <laughs> This was um this was such a cool era for like making comedies. Not that all of them were uh-huh. good, but the idea that people like Sigourney Weaver would be in a movie like this, there's just that's not that's not really the way that movie stars work now. And she uh-huh. she gives it such a heft and a credibility that it wouldn't have yeah. with someone else. Yeah, I really think she does. And a behind the scenes thing I was reading, they're talking about like in 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 a lot of scenes together, Bill Murray would just make fun of her for being uh, nominated for two Academy Awards the same year. <laughs> that year? No, but but she was doing Ghostbusters. Yeah, like the double is like everybody be quiet. The double nominee needs to do some acting and like really crack up the <sighs> the crew and her. Like just tease her for being. But it would make her laugh. Yeah, she was into it. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of a dick thing to do. <laughs> I think it's probably hard to have your feelings hurt as the recipient of the Academy Awards. Yeah, you know? that's probably gives you a certain it. confidence. And he would, he would be like, "You're only this. You're only nominated acting if you're acting against people who aren't as tall as you. What now? You just like stand next to me." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I also read that it was Bill Murray's idea to have his character always try to prove himself to her, which I think is, like, really brilliant because there was so much comedy mind out of that dynamic. Like, it re- there really was. Yeah, I and I, I, I like the the way they are as exes, that it is at least somewhat, like, mm-hmm. amiable. And it's like, she doesn't wish him ill. Just like, no, I I wanted more. You didn't have what I needed, so I left. But, I, you yeah, know, I like, I don't hate you. I just like a... Outgrew you. <laughs> you weren't, she literally said you weren't good for yeah. me. Like, I love the way that they talked about the relationship. I totally feel you. I really liked that a lot. That's also an era of cinema that doesn't really represent that sort of pragmatic detachment. Uh-huh. It's like you only, yeah. like, hate your, your like, ex. Yeah. And you were spurned. And the fact and that it's all dialed down. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I really appreciated that. Hey, this is, these are the things that make it a 5 out of 10 for me. You know, that's a pretty good score. <laughs> <laughs> I also learned, one thing I learned about, one of the only things I learned about Ghostbusters 2 in that documentary I watched was that the Statue of Liberty scene was originally written for the first one, and they pulled it out. Oh. I guess, maybe I don't know if in favor of the Marshmallow Man thing, but yeah, it was originally in the first script. I love the toaster scene. What did you think about the toaster scene? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> the toaster's dancing on a pool table. Toaster You're seems cool. Your head. No, I, th- I think I think there's lots of I think there's lots of fun stuff in this movie. It just yeah. doesn't feel like quite unified to me and like singular in the way that the first one does. But like, yeah, there's lots of stuff I enjoy. I'm gonna have to watch it again uh, for the millionth time with that in mind and see if I pick up on that because I wonder if just my like blind love for it is like never allowed me to see the cracks in it. 
here, here's what I will say. If there are things as a living person that you enjoy, hold on mm-hmm. to those. Don't let me, don't let me persuade you. Otherwise. Oh, I don't think anything could take away my love for this movie. I really, I really don't. But I, I would, I'm, I also like when I watch movies and TV, like because I'm a producer, I will analyze things. Like I have to, like it's just the way that I, like that's why I'm like, I want to know how the slime is made. Like I want to know how they did this specific scene. So I do want to watch it, like, just from a purely analytical standpoint, with that in mind. I think the things that make it a worse movie are what make it a more enjoyable movie for me. That it's, Mm -hmm. like, a little bit disjointed and a little bit lower stakes, so I don't feel as, like, uh, emotionally, like, yoinked by it. Um, Mm -hmm. All of my friends are there from the beginning, so there's no – the arc isn't as strong, (laughs) so I'm just seeing all of my friends be nice. (laughs) <laughs> yeah they're not building the whole exactly. thing exactly it's like I, just, I don't have yeah. to see them meet for the first time and convince people that things are real it's like oh they're after one thing they're back baby there's mm-hmm. less of a it, it is less thematically strong but the theme of ghostbusters one is in part you should let businesses do what they want and regulation is a bad thing <laughs> like that's the theme of <laughs> ghostbusters one and i think that that uh, is upsetting. I think mm-hmm. that's the theme of Hollywood cinema in the, in 80s, the 80s, pretty yeah. uniformly, though. Mm-hmm. But Bethy, I think you describing it as being like TV does does connect for me. I think it has kind of a TV energy, and I see I how see that, that would be a pro for some and maybe a con for me. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know if I have seen either in theaters. Like, I'm sure I did as a kid. I do not recall it whatsoever. I just remember watching it at home a zillion times. And I don't know if this is the time to get into it, but one of my worst punishments as a child is directly tied to Ghostbusters 2. Uh, yeah. I think this is this is kind of <laughs> the podcast where we talk about that. Oh, okay. Unless okay. this is traumatic, in which case. No, 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 no. <laughs> just like sometimes when I tell people, they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, that I know. Okay, so here's what happened. I get home from school one day. I'm like really young. Everyone, everyone should know I'm pretty young here. Like we're under fifth grade because I remember where I was living at the time. So we're below fifth grade. I come home from school and like all I want is a snack. I want my fucking snack now. My mom's like blabbering on like, how was your day, Elizabeth? Blah, 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 blah. And I want her to stop talking and give me my snack. So I decide for some reason to lie for the first time ever. And I said, mom, there was an assembly at school today. That was true. It was about recycling. That was true. (laughs) What was not true was me saying, and they pulled me up on stage and I was part of the recycling assembly. That was a straight up lie. I don't know. (laughs) I do not know why I said it. I do not know why I thought that would get me a snack faster, but I made that choice and I lied. Cut to like maybe a couple days later. I don't really know how long it was. And we had this like public channel called Channel 10 where you could like watch local shit. And my parents excitedly tell me, Elizabeth, they're going to air the recycling assembly on Channel 10. And I'm like, oh, great. That's so good for me. So we all sit down as a family. Oh, brutal. Watch. And like, this is the first time I've ever, ever experienced like my ears burning. Like I'm like my face is burning. I'm like, what is this feeling? This is terrible. We watched uh. the whole thing. Not once was I brought up the assembly. So I get a big talking to about how lying is bad. You should never lie. Elizabeth, go to your room. I go to my room. Next day, I wake up. 
And my mom's like, who wants to watch Ghostbusters 2? And I'm like, me, let me get my Ghostbusters sleeping bag. So I get my Ghostbusters sleeping bag and I pull it in the living room. She puts a tape in the VCR and what is it I have to watch? It's not Ghostbusters 2. It's the entire recycling assembly. I have to watch it again because I have to learn my lesson. The lying is bad. So I have to sit there through pure humiliation when I'm like in my little Ghostbusters sleeping bag. So excited to watch my favorite movie. And instead I had to relive my lie. I can't believe your mom fought lying <laughs> with lying. She lied I know. to you. It's like honestly like such a brutal punishment. Like, like the talk style. was enough. I was like in so I felt totally so much shame. The talk was enough, but yeah, it was bad. I can't believe they taped it. And how did I not notice they were taping it? I'm such a ding dong. That's incredible. Yeah, I'll never forget that. <laughs> I guess it's like it's like a good punishment because like yeah. you you made them I sit mean, through this dumbass assembly and they're like Liz you're doing that again. <laughs> yeah, like at any point I could have said like oh, it's not gonna happen. I was lying. <laughs> I'll just never forget my little ears burning. Like oh no, I'm gonna get caught. But I think it's terrible. You know, if you had been like, in fairness, mom, I just wanted you to shut the fuck up and give me a snack. I, just... I don't think that would have gone better if you had explained it to her (laughs) no i think she was like probably trying to get details out of me because i was just like it was fine i had a fine day like whatever like just give me my thing and instead i just made something up to say something (laughs) so i probably didn't it was a kid's day who who, what happened this significant a recycling assembly when steph gets home i'm gonna tell her that uh there was a recycling (laughs) assembly at work and they called me up on stage (laughs) See if there's any way to verify that. Oh, I mean, that's like out of a scene of a TV, like a whole TV episode could be based around like that one experience of like, oh God, they taped it. Oh God, it's airing. Oh no, they think I'm doing something special and I'm super not. <laughs> I'm just realizing the movie that I watched and gave two and a half stars to on Letterboxd, it wasn't Ghostbusters. It was the recycling assembly. <laughs> And your note was not enough Liz. That's why I don't really like the movie. Ooh, it would have been worse. What if she... Okay, this is crazy thinking, but what if she had taped over Ghostbusters 2 with the recycling? That would have been pure evil. Uh, that would have really been pure evil. She did not do that to my recollection. <laughs> too too dark to consider, I think. So dark. Oof. Vigo vibes. Um, I want to talk about <laughs> Dana's job a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm confused. As to what her job is? <laughs> It's something that I love, but I know is bad storytelling. I just think it's so funny that she quit the orchestra to restore paintings until the baby is older. And then she'll go back to the orchestra. (laughs) Does she say that? Yes. She's like, I'm going to, I'm actually going to quit pretty soon because now that Oscar's older, I'm going to go back to the orchestra. I see. I don't. See, I never picked up on that because I was wondering, like, she was playing the cello, but I was like, why Why did she, she was in the orchestra in the first movie. I'm going to play the Tim Robinson role and I'm going to get really angry and just yell her job is tables. Tables is her porn. <laughs> her job is tables. She's multi-talented. It, she's incredibly, like, she was working at an orchestra at, like, one of the most prestigious orchestras in New York, mm-hmm. nay the world, and then for some reason... Having a baby means she can't do that. I don't know. Is she like lactating on the cello too much? I'm not sure why you can't 
be why you can't play the cello and have a young baby at the same time, but whatever. She's like, that's fine. I can always fall back in being a world-class art restorer at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, a highly competitive place for art historians. My- Sorry, Bethy, we breezed past lactating on the cello. That's a really visceral <laughs> image to just skate on by. Sorry, Liz, didn't mean to cut in. No, I was just going to say my assumption would be for her to make that choice is that the concerts take place at night and in the nighttime is when you have to put a baby to sleep. <laughs> like, that's my guess. It'd be like, I can't tour yeah. or I can't, because I'm assuming her orchestra toured. She that would probably have a tough time. I would time assume it has something to do with a, a touring schedule. Because mm-hmm. I think you, I personally think you shouldn't restore oil paintings when you're breastfeeding because I have to think that those varnishes and stuff aren't good for you to be exposed to. And then pass so, it on to the baby. So true. Speaking of lactation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point. But I don't I don't want to backseat parent for Dana. She's doing an amazing job. <laughs> Oscar is a really so cute independent. fucking kid. That baby gives me baby fever every time I watch the movie. I'm like, maybe I, I should be a mom. No, no. There is, there is one fact I know about that baby is that it was a twin. And one of the twins definitely died. But I don't like I mean, like as an adult, like I one of them is no longer with us, but I don't remember what happened. Whoa. But that is a fact that I know that I I haven't looked into in years, but I do know that (laughs) it wasn't a painting eating him. I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. Well, (laughs) I take some comfort in knowing that that baby has joined Slimer. (laughs) I'm so nervous about the new one, but I'm like really, really excited. But I'm nervous. People who I've known who have seen Ghostbusters Afterlife have been like, Liz, you're going to love it. But I'm like, do I trust you? Like, do you know how important this is to me? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, You should trust him. You should trust him if they know you. Yeah. Okay. I want to see Finn Wolfhard as James Bond. So this is a stepping stone. (laughs) This is on the path to that. I just, one thing I also love about both Ghostbusters movies, the first and the second, not to totally discount Paul Feig's film. But one thing I love about it is the music. Like, I absolutely mm-hmm. love the music in both movies. I think they nailed it both times. It's actually two different composers. I thought it was one. It's two. And I love the music. And also, like, I prefer practical effects to CGI. That's, like, those are the two things that could ruin it for me that I'm a little concerned about. Because I also am the kind of person uh, I don't like to watch a trailer ahead of time. Actually, now that I think about it, I, I've been avoiding the movies until Ghostbusters Afterlife because I know that I have heard there's a second trailer that they've been playing and I don't want to see it. I've already seen the first one, which is fine with me. I had to. I wasn't going to ignore this one. But I'm going to the movies tomorrow because they're re-releasing the first Ghostbusters in theater. I just found that out today, so I'm going tomorrow night. And I'm nervous to see... I'm nervous to see the trailer. They're going to make you tear up. I, had, I was going somewhere with this, but I don't remember where. Wait by the door. Just be prepared to run out yeah. if they play it. I'm going to have to... But yeah, I, I'm, oh, what I was going to say is the first trailer that I've seen has the little marshmallows or whatever, and it's CGI. I love that. That's one thing I love about the Ghostbusters movies, like, they're awesome practical effects. I think it just makes it, the tub scene, the tub scene, it looks so real. It's like a bendy tub. That's cool. That tub scene is almost like, it almost looks like a Cronenbergian body uh-huh. horror entity. It looks like, I don't know if you remember those sort of, like, toys that you would get at, like, 
novelty shops maybe as a kid, but it was like a plastic sleeve that would roll on itself. And if you would squeeze it, it would slide out of your hand and it was like filled with liquid and sometimes like glitter. I literally have one in my desk drawer. (laughs) (laughs) It took me a minute to like picture it. I was like, oh, I have one of those. (laughs) I think that looks like the like hell spun salmon colored version of that. Yeah. It does, it also reminds me like the goo is so yeah gack silly putty esque. Uh huh. Yeah, I love I that. Love I just I think it is. makes it more human too. Honestly, I like that. Wait, sorry. Can I say my favorite moment in Ghostbusters too? <gasps> oh, I would love to hear it. <laughs> so when they go to a function at the beginning of the movie, it's Winston and Stance, right? Mm-hmm. So so you think that they're going into a home and they're going to bust to ghosts and then you get like the big fat liar reveal where it turns <laughs> out they are in fact entertaining children as the washed up Ghostbusters. <laughs> Kids don't give a shit. No. They don't remember when the Ghostbusters were in their prime because they're like five and it was yeah. four years ago. <laughs> And then Winston and Stance press play on a jukebox and start dancing to the Ghostbusters theme in a moment of bizarre diegetic rupture. (laughs) And they're like kind of like singing along half-heartedly. And I don't know, there's Mm -hmm. something about that that is just so wild to me. I love it. Yeah, it's great. I used to think that everyone being over the Ghostbusters was like, unrealistic that surely yes once somebody proved the existence of the afterlife it would fundamentally change society in some way see i agree with you but now that like you know the new york times did like a thing about how aliens are real and we were all like yeah sure probably why not who gives a fuck yeah whatever (laughs) it turns out this movie is hugely realistic as far as how (laughs) governments deal with imminent but imminent threats mm-hmm. and also with how the public doesn't give a shit about like existential changes to their world. Yeah. Isn't that nuts? I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of cool stuff at the premise level. And I think the idea that the Ghostbusters have to sort of like atone for what they've done sort of predicted criticisms that we level against like recent blockbusters. Like I think about like Transformers movies and certain DC movies where like the third act is just like, leveling a metropolitan area like you fucking knock down a tower block everyone inside dies and there are no repercussions yeah no one ever pays for that yeah and like after man of steel there was like enough of a backlash that in like whatever the next one was yeah in like batman v superman like they position the end of man of steel as being like visually analogous to 9-11 in a way that is really interesting conceptually even though the movie sucks I don't know. I just think it's cool that, like, Ghostbusters 2 is kind of ahead of all of that and, like, the yes. accountability of heroes. I just, again, I, I wish they did more with it, but maybe I'm asking too yeah. much. No, I don't think so. I think it is a very interesting thing that they did touch on that, yeah, you never see that. I thought that was interesting, too, like, to have a relationship with the government about you're just fucking shit up. But that's also, like, one thing I found funny when rewatching it today. I was like, 
they are really fucking shit up. And also they're laughing about it because they're dudes <laughs> with toys. Like they were like after the, yeah, after the courthouse thing, they were like, this is fun. Like they had missed doing it. And I think that's funny too. Cause they do get to just blow exactly. shit up. Like the way that they, they drill into First Avenue of when they could just go into the sewer system through like a tunnel <laughs> is so funny. It's like, yes, you should go to jail for it's that so shit or at least funny. get a fine. Like yeah. you fucked up. This is bad you did bad you should feel bad but we mm-hmm. we just want them to be lovable scamps so it's like anybody who yeah. holds them accountable is like mean because they're getting in the way of plot but it's like no you there's no reason for you it's to realistic yeah. <laughs> this is new york like yeah i do i love that drilling scene there's so much i love in this movie but i do love that drilling scene because it again i think like nails their characters like Egon doesn't know how to deal with the police. So he's like, Venkman, get over here. Because Venkman's a sleazebag who can lie his ass off. And he does forever until he gets caught. They're like, you're not with the cable. You're not with the water. And then he <laughs> takes a beat and he goes, there's a gas leak. <laughs> he's still running through as many lies as he can to keep it going. I think it's funny. I love that you just get a little sous-saw of like con movie just thrown in there for just like mm-hmm. a little second. It's like, okay, sure. That's a nice <laughs> yeah. new flavor. Yeah, let's bring that in. Yeah. The cast is so good. I mean, that oh, that gets you brilliant. a long way. And there are lots of flashes of really fun stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Even if I feel less enthusiastic about this movie than you both, I, I really appreciate your perspective. And you're making me like it more. Oh, that's good to hear. You know what still, like like I said, Vigo still scares me to this day. The part in the movie that I have, used to have to close my eyes in, and I never close my eyes in movies. I used to have to close my eyes when they're down on the subway tracks. When the when they say it's done, I still am like, like it's so scary, and all the heads are there. Like it was the heads part that I like had to close my eyes. It was so scary. Those were really scary heads, (laughs) and the train going through them. Like I could open my eyes for that, but I still felt very uncomfortable. (laughs) I would love. For there to be studio comedies now that have like big action set pieces and lore and occasional like moments that are genuinely frightening. There's so yeah. much cool shit here. Mm-hmm. Thomas, did you see the spy who loved or the spy who dumped me? No, is that the Justin Theroux movie? He might be in that. It's Mila Kunis and uh, Kate, okay. Kate, Kate SNL McKinnon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was it was like a fun little spy romp. I thought it was really I liked it a lot in the moment. Oh, yeah, he's the spy. I think Justin Theroux is the spy who dumps her, and then there's a different spy, played by the leftovers, best show some ever. Himbo, mm-hmm. best show. Oh my god, I could talk about that for days. One of the huge reasons I'm excited for the new one, Carrie Coon. She's the best. Sorry, please keep yeah. going. But Bethy, Bethy are you saying that that is similar to Ghostbusters too, and it's like generic? intersection I mean, it's got a good a, like good action set pieces in real you are worried for the characters in a way that i don't think you are in a lot of like actiony comedies nowadays mm. i want to see that and then as far as like horror comedies yeah, that have that. that energy i would recommend freaky that came out last year i liked freaky so much i thought it was great Big freaky head. I also liked Happy Death Day. Oh, I love Happy Death Day. Same director. I didn't see that, but I have heard that it's good. So uh, I got some things to add. We'll have to do Happy Death Day to you on the pod. Because we can't talk about the first one until we talk about the second one. (laughs) I want to see that. The way people talk about Happy Death Day to you 
gets me really excited because my understanding is that it's like an 80s sequel where like the first one's horror but the second one is more like sci-fi like the second one's almost like Ooh. back to the future yeah it's it really See, that's the stuff i'm into you would love it because yeah. it le- death both happy death day and happy death day 2 you lean into like time loops a lot Liz? Oh, I'm watching it as soon as we're done here then. <laughs> one is one is literally a Groundhog Day slasher. It's fun as it's shit. So good. No it's shit. So good. I didn't know that. Okay, that's great. And then in the second one, it's like it has more sciencey stuff because like they, they figure out like why this is happening to her and how to stop it and stuff like that. Oh or fun. not. That's fun. I'm really into that. Did you guys see Palm Springs? Loved it. Think it's great. Loved Palm Springs. One of the things I liked about Palm Springs is that she disappears for a while. It's because she's trying to figure it out. I'm like, you never see that. You never see that in these movies. Is somebody trying to get to the bottom of it and like, stop it. I kind of think that time loop movies, generally speaking, though, are good. Like, I'm trying to think of one that isn't. Edge of Tomorrow is insanely fun. Like a really, really underrated movie. It's okay. it's it's so good. It has really great action and stakes, but it also is like goofy as shit in the setup. It's really? it's I, I I love it. Yeah, there's something about a time loop movie that allows you to get really goofy because death is so cheap. Yeah, you can just mm-hmm. rocks fall, everyone dies as much as you want, and you have to find stakes elsewhere. I'm assuming you both saw Russian Doll. Oh yeah, yeah, I loved it. I think it's great. <sighs> loved it. It's so good. I think we've done it. I just want to ask before we leave do you guys believe in ghosts in real life how much you go first uh thinking carefully about my answer this is a bar question like you know before like yeah. at the end of the night it's like no but are ghosts real you have to tell me semantically i don't know do i believe in strange energy manifestations that scare me for which i do not have words yes i Grew up in a renovated Victorian hospital in rural Iowa. What? And there was <laughs> a... I, we, we not talked about this? No, that you grew Ooh. up in the site of MTV's Fear? It, so it's like, it's like a very, it's a very normal looking like Victorian home because a hospital would have been very small in the middle of a cornfield in the late 1800s. But like, I have five siblings and so my parents were like okay what is like a completely derelict home that we can afford and put all of our children in so they renovated this hospital and there was a time shortly after we moved in where a guy knocked on our front door and he said my uncle died in that room and we're like that's a weird thing to tell anyone and then I found out years years later after living in the house after my parents sold it that when my mom and my dad were in the home before they had kind of finished the process, they were staying there and they heard like a woman's voice upstairs and they never told us because my parents are like patently unsuperstitious. They're very religious, but they considered having the home exercised. So there was, there was some weird stuff when I was a kid, no like full body apparitions or anything, but like strange sounds. Anyway, my answer is yes. Yeah, I would, I'm, I'm gonna be a yes. I mean, like, I have not seen a ghost, but I have experienced things that I cannot explain myself. So, like, there's something, like, I have no doubt in my mind that there's something, I don't know what it is. I will say my ex-husband had had two ghost experiences before I met him, and I'm like, I believed him, why not? <laughs> like, it's, they fucked him up, and, like, he was living in this, like, frat house in Kentucky, and it turned out, like, the 
the per- he saw like a girl in the bathroom mirror one day. And it turns out one of his roommates had also seen it. And like neither of them had talked about it for a long time until like one night years later, one of them was bringing it up. And he was like, I saw that too and just couldn't say anything. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Wow. So yeah, I mean, there's something. I really think so. Yeah, I'm always really compelled by the stories that people don't tell. Like when when yeah. when you eventually get someone to sort of cop to some sort of strange experience, I'm always really compelled by that. We'll have to talk. I'll have to tell you my weirdest one sometime. I can't wait. <laughs> Bethy, what about you, though? Where, where do you come down on ghosts that need busting? Well, okay, so that's two different things. I One of my problems with Ghostbusters <laughs> is I think that maybe we don't need to bust all these ghosts. It feels like you're eradicating things that maybe you don't need to do. But that's neither here nor there. I don't kill spiders unless they're poisonous. Well, I do have some questions about that. <laughs> Do you think Vigo should have no, continued no. his... See, that's my problem with Ghostbusters <laughs> 1. Ghostbusters 2, like, because they uh-huh. bust ghosts that are just hanging out. That's true, like the runner in the park. Yeah, or the blowjob lady. Like, she's just giving blowjobs. Let her give blowjobs. She's just giving blowjobs. That's true. <laughs> blowjob lady. <laughs> Busting ghosts trying to make you bust? It's, it's <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Can't the ghosts bust themselves? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I believe in ghosts because I'm not sure my views on souls are ever evolving and complex and Mm -hmm. vaguely animistic. But so I think that there's, yeah, stuff that I'm not sure what it is exactly. I know, um, Mm -hmm. I don't remember this, but when I was taken to the Alamo when I was like three, apparently I was like... The minute we got inside and they were, like, showing, like, we were on this tour or whatever, I just turned to my dad and I said, can we go? This place smells like blood. <gasps> oh, my God. like, a little three-year-old uh. ghost saying, daddy, I smell blood. I want to leave. Woo! <laughs> and I had, Spooky. I had, like, a similar feeling in a museum once where they had taken an entire, like, Maori meeting hall. And we went inside Mm -hmm. it, and I just got this feeling of, like, I am not welcome here. This is not my place to be inside of. I have to get out. And my dad was with me, and he was like, oh, yeah, no, I feel it, too. We're Hawaiian. They hate that about us. We should go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do think that's a very interesting thing when you can just tell something has, like, an energy. There's definitely something to that. But, uh, yes, and they should let. They should let the ghosts hang out more than they do, but whatever. Yeah, I think they should also let the ghosts hold office. But uh, I, I feel like we've done—I <laughs> feel like we've done really good work here. I think so too. I think ghosts should vote. Let's add that in. Why not? Whoa. Why not? The Scaleri brothers need to be heard. <laughs> I've learned that when borrowing VHS tapes from Liz's mom, I need to do my due diligence. Uh, it's not always the movie that is labeled as. No, it's. Not always going to be fun. <laughs> Liz, thank you so much for coming. If people want to see what you do, what you're working on, where can they find you online? They can find me on Twitter at Liz Maupin, L-I-Z-M-A-U-P-I-N. And then Instagram, just got a little underscore between Liz and Maupin. Same place. I will be using Twitter for the next month to be talking about the new Ghostbusters because I'm so excited. <laughs> so that's like, I really have been talking a lot about it. <laughs> so, yeah. Bethy, what about you? Are you on social media? Yeah. On um, Twitter, I'm at BethyBSQU. And on Instagram, I'm at Bethy Squires. 
Uh, what about you, Thomas? Well, I am on Twitter for the express purpose of following Bethy, who is constantly putting up <laughs> hot fire. So true. I am. I also tweet sometimes. I am at handsome underscore pal. And we also have a Twitter for the show, which is at MovieBarPod. And we have an Instagram, which is at MovieBar underscore pod. Much like Liz, there's just a little underscore in there. That's the only difference. So, Bethy, we all day actually were talking about our new sign-off. Yeah, that we've been really working on and trying to figure out what it is. And uh, I think we have it now, don't you? I think it's good. I wanted to carve out an hour between our last conversation about the new sign-off and starting the show tonight to make sure that I felt good about it. (laughs) And I do. I feel really good. Mm -hmm. And as we discussed, that new sign-off is ghosts should self-bust, ghostbusters should (laughs) self-suck. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Hell yeah. (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins, with show art by Lindsay Farrell, and that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan. Mm-hmm.